So I want to say hello and welcome uh, to worship here at Arapahoe United Methodist Church. I know that the new year is a natural time for folks to be discerning and discovering potentially a new church home. And so I hope that what you find here is a warm and welcoming environment. We're glad that you're with us. If you're joining us online, um, because we know this is a time that uh, visitors are also checking us out, and it's also, quite frankly, quite cold in North Texas, um, we're glad that you're here as well. If you'd like to connect with us and learn more about who we are as a church and even connect with our staff to understand how to best engage in the life of ministry here, you can go to arapahoumc.com slash connect. Um, it's important to be open-minded. At least that's what I'm told. The uh, United Methodist Church, which is the denomination to which I belong, we, we pride ourselves on being an open-minded tradition. At one point, our official slogan was open hearts, open minds, open doors. And I agree. So in that spirit, I have a list that I've prepared titled People that I believe should be included in church, even though I'm not sure about it, but I trust that God loves them because I'm so open-minded. <laughs> Number one, people who chew with their mouth open. <laughs> Why, yes, my daughter has just discovered gum. Thank you for asking. People who do not return their shopping carts. No one's that busy. No one is that busy. Um, straight to hell. Um, people... <laughs> People who watch those pimple popper shows, I'm not here to judge you and the way you spend your time. What I am frustrated by is the fact that YouTube thinks we all want to see that nonsense. It's getting into my algorithm. I don't swipe fast enough. I don't need that in my life. Moving on, people who just got back from vacation, I'm so happy for you. The rest of us have been grinding. So no, I don't need to hear about how I just gotta go to Hawaii. I'm not going to Hawaii. I'm staying here in North Texas. Anyways, okay. People who own restaurants in where they charge for chips and salsa. <laughs> in Texas, that should be a capital offense. And lastly, people who force you to watch something they thought was funny and they just watch your face while you watch it and then it's all tense and awkward because you have to laugh but you're also stressed so you can't laugh normally and then halfway through they realize it's getting weird and they stop playing the video and you both have to pretend like it never happened. That one's kind of specific. That one's a little specific. Like I said, it's important to be open-minded, right? But in the world of faith, especially in the Christian faith, that can actually get you into trouble. Deconstruction is a word that is a hot topic in modern Christianity. It's a term that broadly applies to people who are in a season of critically examining their faith, frequently down to the very foundations, to the atomic level. And sometimes people will start deconstructing for different reasons, perhaps because of church trauma or maybe because of a societal event, or simply because of a personal experience. But whatever the source may be, it prompts this deep internal question, what do I actually believe? It's a journey that demands open-mindedness because there's not a predetermined outcome to that question. And I learned this past week that not everybody loves it. In fact, when I was searching on YouTube for a video that had to do with this topic, and yes, you know what I inadvertently found, instead of what I found, uh, instead of what I found was an algorithmic slew of Bible church bros with videos like, watch me demolish this heretic pastor, or why deconstruction is a tool of Satan. And it turns out some people are not as open to open-mindedness as one might hope. 
Last week, we began a new series called Our Shared Journey, and we're walking through our vision statement here at AUMC. We believe that God has called us to be a creative, constructive, forward-leaning Christian community committed to becoming more like Jesus, a 5C church. And this is who we sense God is leading us to be as individuals and also as a larger community of faith. Last week, last week, we started with what it means to embrace creativity as a people who worship a creative and creating God. And this week, let's talk about what it means to be constructive, a constructive people and a constructive church. So if you want to follow along, we're going to be in 1 John this morning. It's, towards the end, it's toward the end of your Bible. 1 John is a letter written not to a person, but rather to a people. It was written sometime in the early 2nd century, like 100 or 110 CE, and its audience was a community of early Christians who were struggling as they navigated life in their still very new faith movement. The movement that Jesus started was not a separate religion initially, but rather it was a reform movement within his own Jewish tradition. In the decades after his death and resurrection, Christianity continued to develop as this internal movement within Judaism until the Jewish revolt in the late 60s and early 70s CE. Then after that war, Christianity began to emerge as an offshoot religion, which prompted the writings of gospels like Matthew and Luke and then eventually John. The early Christians were going through their own journey, you might say, of deconstruction and reconstruction, trying to discern what aspects of their Jewish traditions or their Gentile culture aligned with the teachings of Jesus as they understood them. 1 John is a letter written to one of these early Christian communities and was meant to encourage them as they faced an unknown future, constructing a new faith tradition from diverse cultures and backgrounds. And the letter ends with a reflection on the theme of love, specifically the love that God has for us and that we are meant to model for others. And so we begin in 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. The author says this, Dear friends, don't believe every spirit. Test the spirits to see if they are from God because many false prophets have gone into the world. This is how you know if a spirit comes from God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come as a human is from God and every spirit that doesn't confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, whoa, which you have heard is coming and is now already in the world. So let's pause there. You know, I find it fascinating that the author says to specifically view theological teaching through a lens of critical thinking. Do not believe every spirit. And yet, how often does it feel as though in order to engage in religious spaces, we're asked to shut off our brains? Has that been your experience before? Reagan and I had some friends over for dinner several years ago, and they had just a starting started attending a mega church in the area, a church that shall go nameless because it may be geographically positioned very close to this one, in fact. And no, it was not the church that we were on staff at the time, so we were super duper offended. They are lucky that we served them any food at all. Um, <laughs> they seemed genuinely excited to have found this church home. And so I asked the husband, what is it about this church that you love so much? And his response, and I promise I'm not making this up, was... I just really love that when I go there, they tell me what to think about the Bible and how to believe. They make it really simple. And here's the deal. I get that faith is tricky. 
and that scripture can be super confusing, and that navigating the 21st century with the number of moral quandaries that we face on a daily basis is extremely difficult, but our friend's response that night left me speechless. But it also revealed something to me. There's a dangerous allure in the world of religion, and its name is certainty. To be so sure that you or your pastor or your church or your tradition is so perfectly true that it allows us to switch off our brains and live with a confidence that cannot be shaken because why would you shake when you know you are right? There's a brand of religion, and by the way, it's true in a lot of religions, certainly true in branches of Christianity, that says this. If you heard this before, if you come here and believe what we say and, and do what we do and marry who we tell you to marry and live the way we tell you to live, then your life is going to be great. And if it's not, then you probably just need to give more money and pray harder. When taken to the extreme, it's what allows religious fundamentalists to feel justified in truly unspeakable and evil acts, all in the name of certainty. And certainty works. That's the rough part of it. Certainty certainly works so long as you completely, and I mean completely, buy into the program that is being sold. But if you critically examine it for even just a moment, if you dare to pull on a single thread, that whole thing can begin to unravel before you. And I know that is true because as a pastor, I've been with people on the other side of that experience. The simplicity of going with the flow the fear of beginning to question or being told by someone else not to question, the loneliness that is felt on the other side after being cast out or simply left out to wander alone. It's painful, but it's also unavoidable once you begin turning a critical eye, testing the spirits, as the author says, and asking yourself, does this actually align with the love of Jesus? As a constructive community, we strive to both build a faith that feels sound. In the Wesleyan tradition, we would call this assurance, that, that sense of, of experiencing for yourself what is true in your relationship with God, what has been proven true in your own life, in your lived experience. We want to build a faith that feels authentic and real and sound, while also we release unhelpful certainty from our spiritual lives. What do I mean by that? It's one thing to be certain that God's love is for us, yes. It's quite another to be certain that God's love is defined by our own capacity for love. It's one thing to be certain, to be assured that God is a God of justice. It's quite another thing to be certain that God put you on this earth to serve as judge of the world. Uh-oh. It's one thing to be certain that Jesus is your Savior, it is quite another to be certain that you know the path of someone else's salvation. Brian McLaren, an author, he's an author and spiritual guide for many who are attempting to construct a new version of their faith. Brian McLaren says this in his book titled A Generous Orthodoxy. He says, we must never underestimate our power to be wrong when talking about God, when thinking about God, when imagining God, whether in prose or in poetry. A generous orthodoxy, in contrast to the tense, narrow, or controlling orthodoxies of so much of Christian history, doesn't take itself too seriously. It is humble. It doesn't claim too much. 
It admits it walks with a limp. When we embrace what it means to test every spirit, what we're embracing is a faith that engages our critical thought, opens itself up to the spirit in a posture of curiosity. While it may feel less certain, it will lead to something, my friends, that is more sound. The author of 1 John continues and moves into the core of what he understands this gospel message to be. He says this, dear friends, let's love each other because love is from God and everyone who loves is born from God and knows God. The person who doesn't love does not know God because God is love. This is how the love of God is revealed to us. God has sent God's only son into the world so that we can live through him. This is love. It is not that we loved God, but that he loved us, that God loved us and sent God's son as the sacrifice that deals with our sin. So I'm a forgetful person, and if you know me, you didn't need to be told that. <laughs> I'm a forgetful person. It's clear that my four-year-old son, Jude, has inherited this trait from his father. God bless him. When we are trying to get out of the door in the morning, I will send him to his room. I'll say, Jude, go to your room, get your shoes, come back, right? Jude, go to your room, get your shoes, come back. He has brought me his Spidey toys. He has brought me underwear on top of his head. He has brought me my shoes out of my room. He has yet to come out of his room with his shoes the very first time he's asked. There will literally be times when I'm staring him in the eyes and I am asking him to do something. And he's looking at me intently. And as soon as I'm done talking, he says, what did you say? I love you so much, son. I imagine there's a little bit of that at work in the community where the author is writing. It sounds as though there's a lot of voices trying to speak into the early Christian movement, and it's easy to get distracted or stuck in the weeds and to begin arguing over stuff that ultimately really is not the point or the purpose of the moment or the movement. The author is reminding their community that ultimately what unites them, what draws them into this movement in the first place that they call home, it's not something that any of them have done. Before anything else, the writer says, God loves first. And if the faith we are constructing, if the movement that we are building, if it does not start with love, then the author says it is not born from God. When we embrace the heart of the Christian message, we embrace a story that starts and ends with love and invites us into a life of love. The author is writing in the Greek language and is using the word agape for love. Agape is a specific kind of love. It's different from romantic love or from friendly love or from familial love. It is divine love, cosmic love, love that is boundless and bold. It's a love that is too big for you or me or anyone else to own, but rather it is an ocean that we are invited into by the same spirit that hovered over the waters of creation. What's more is the author says that when we remember the love at the heart of this Christian message, it will lead us to be constructive with one another as well. You'll love one another because God is love. I think about those YouTube creators who are destroying those heretics, and I wonder how they would read and interpret this text. My faith is what it is today, in large part because of the encouragement I have received through community like AUMC. 
the way that others have built up my own understanding of God through living in their own living witness. But what occurs to me, though, is that I've known people in communities in my life that seek to encourage and, and sought to build me up, but in starkly different ways. When, when I was in college, for instance, I attended a college ministry that was dripping with students. It had a great band and a compelling speaker, and the girl that I was interested in was also going. That was a small part of it. I was honestly very into it. I was very into this college ministry, at least until it was about six weeks into the semester when that sermon happened. Have you been going to a church before or a part of a ministry, and then that sermon happened. You're laughing because you know. The pastor basically laid out this case for what a really good Christian is, for what a good disciple is, and basically said, here's the specific way that you can be a good Christian boy or girl that God loves so much, or you can go to hell. Oh, by the way, the small group forms are in the hallway, right? Thank you for that. The best version of a constructive community is the one that does not presume to know what God wants for each individual in order that they could be loved, but rather starts with the truth that God already loves everyone we know and everyone we will meet. And our job is to journey in faith as best we can alongside one another for as long as we can. And yes, that will include challenging one another in love, but always with the humility that trusts our job is to return to the easily forgotten truth that before anything, before dogma or doctrine, before righteousness or rules, before any element of faith that we might offer for God, God loves us. There's nothing we can do about that, and that is the gospel truth. And so the author then underscores the power of God's love in our faith and says, dear friends, if God has loved us this way, we also ought to love each other. No one's ever seen God. If we love each other, God remains in us and his love is made perfect in us. The author goes on to say, God is love. And those who remain in love remain in God, and God remains in them. This is how love has been perfected in us, so that we can have confidence on the judgment day, because we are exactly the same as God is in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear expects punishment. The person who is afraid has not been made perfect in love. Once again, it's critical that we remember the occasion for the writing of this text. An early Christian community recently cast out of the, of the tradition it had long known and called home, wondering where to go and how to journey ahead. Perhaps the most dangerous aspect of certainty is just how safe it can make us feel. A safety that either lulls us to sleep or places us in a posture of protectiveness. And either way, it's not the way that we were called to live as people of faith. For these early Christians, the safety of certainty, that was already gone. And the fear of its absence appears to have set in. The tradition that many of the early Christians were coming out of, whether they're Jewish tradition or, or one of the many traditions in the larger culture of the Roman Empire, a common theological thread in many of these strands of faith was the notion that following religious rules would lead to reward while anything less would lead one to punishment. And not just in eternity, 
but in this life as well. You do good, you get good. You do bad, you get bad. It's a message that's found in so many traditions and cultures and creeds, and it's one that perhaps we have believed at different times in our own lives as well. And the author here says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear expects punishment. It's amazing to me how often leaders in the Christian faith try to trade love for fear at the heart of the Christian message. Do this or you'll get punished. Don't do this or you'll get punished. No matter what you do or don't do, who you are is bad, so you'll get punished. It's the consequence of a faith that is not firmly rooted in God's already loving us. When we're left with a faith as a result that has us tirelessly chasing down a God of perfection, it leaves us running and ragging and ultimately perhaps ruined. My faith, our faith, is born of God's first love, a faith that embraces the unknown and the mysterious. It's also a faith liberated to follow God's love into every question, to every doubt, every mountaintop, every valley, every moment of both belief and unbelief, all of it trusting that God has not condemned us and will not abandon us in our journey. Releasing certainty starting with God's first love and stepping forward without fear. The author is asking this community and is asking us, where could that take us in a future that we do not know? How could that change not only our Monday morning, but our 2024 and our lifetime to come? And so as we continue in this worship series, like last week, I'm going to once again invite us to consider writing down a reflection, or at the very least, reflecting internally in just a moment. For those of you who are online, if you'd like to grab a piece of paper and a pencil, you can also make great use of the chat feature at this point. For those of you who are in the room, you should see little postcards in the pews in front of you, and you have the ability to write down a reflection in just a moment. You can keep that for yourself or you can post it on our wall in the hallway outside as we go public as a church, as we consider how God is leading us in this season of returning to vision. I wonder how God is leading us to be a constructive people in our faith, as individuals and as a community as a whole. I think about the way that God has led AUMC to embrace ministry with people who are deconstructing and reconstructing without any predetermined ideas about what a successful reconstruction journey looks like. And so here's three questions I want you to spend a moment reflecting on. If you feel so led, write down a response. Consider sharing it with the community either on the wall or in the chat. First, how is God, how might God be leading you or leading us to release certainty? Secondly, how is God leading you or leading us to start with the truth that God loves first?
lastly, how might God be releasing you or releasing us of the fear that prevents us from moving forward? Take a moment to quietly reflect in your own space, to write down if you wish, and to greet a God who always seeks to build a better faith alongside us.